Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first ever episode of Crossing the LD, a show that is completely focused on veterans transitioning from military to civilian life. Our show is powered by Pivotal Moments, a nonprofit on a mission to strengthen mental fitness for all. Go check them out at pivotalmoments.org to learn more. My name is Lee Elias, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Howie Cohen. And today, our guest is Dr. Janet Cruz. Dr. Cruz is a board-certified family medicine physician in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where she has worked on the front lines of the public health response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Cruz served in the U.S. Air Force in the U.K. and U.S.A., from 2010 to 2017 as a medical director and a staff family medicine physician. Her Air Force leadership training helped her to build effective teams that have improved the day-to-day work environment in her clinics. In addition to clinical responsibilities, she's coordinated training programs for wartime contingencies, humanitarian assistance, excuse me, and disaster relief response. In addition to all of the above, Jenna is also a proud parent of two beautiful children, Logan and Alina, and, surprise ending, my wife on the first episode. No pressure here at all. Janet, thanks so much for being on the show here today. (laughs) Thank you, Howie and Lee, for having me. Glad to be here. So, Janet, first question right away is just tell the audience uh, why you decided to get into medicine and, and why you chose the military to help you accomplish that goal. Sure. So I I think I have a different story. I think a lot of people know that they want to go into medicine early on. Um, I came from actually pretty humble beginnings. So both my parents are from farming backgrounds. They're from Puerto Rico. Um, And we moved to the U.S. Um, We were not financially stable. Um, So my goal was really I just needed to get to college. Um, And I was good at math and science. I literally had a conversation with one of my guidance counselors and said, hey, like, I need to go to college and I can't pay for it. Can you help? Um, And she connected me with a um, BSMD program. So a bachelor's in science and medical degree combined program. Um, And that's how I ended up in medicine. Um, You know, I, I ended up going into this program and I did really well. I graduated college, you know, in three years, um, did research for a year because I didn't know if I actually wanted to go to medical school. Um, And, you know, really after that, I I was ready. I was ready to see patients. Um, I will also say, you know, because so Spanish was my first language. Um, my parents came over here. They still don't speak English very well. Um, so I, I actually served as their personal translator um, for a lot of their doctor's appointments, lawyer's appointments, etc. Um, so I, I had an inkling that, you know, medicine, I mean, it's a cool field. I, I, I really enjoyed interacting with doctors. I just never thought it was for me. Um, until I had that opportunity with, you know, with the guidance counselor that, that really opened up doors for me. Um, she really watched out for me. Um, so in terms of why the military, so my oldest brother did serve in the army. Um, he was in infantry, um, in the army. Um, I just, I didn't know how to pay for medical school. Um, I was actually very grateful that, you know, coming here, I was able to, um, you know, go to school for free. So I, I did have a feeling of, you know, I needed to pay, pay it back. Um, so, you know, I talked to my brother and he just said, not army. So I said, okay. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I looked well, at, I really appreciate you know, different... that one, Jan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't know, smart I, enough I to choose the air force. What was that? I wasn't smart enough to choose the air force. <laughs> 
But uh, I mean, I looked at, you know, there were scholarships for people that wanted to go into medicine. I said, okay, let's do this. Um, I really, at that point, I I knew that I wanted to be a doctor, you know, after having um, done research, medical research for a year. And I just had no way of paying for it. Um, And you look at the commercials and you look at, you know, all the things that you were able to do in the military. Uh, and I said, you know what, let's, let's do it. Let's, you know, sign me up. Um, I know at that, at that point, Lee, I know you, you kind of remember that, that time in our life <laughs> when I made that decision and there's a lot of ambiguity, you know, I, I didn't know what I signed up for, for sure, but I could tell you, um, it lived up to the commercials. Um, I was able to do so many things in the military, um, but that's how I ended up, you know, active duty and and being a military, you know, medical provider. Jen, what I remember <clears throat> from that conversation was uh, <laughs> you sitting me down, showing me what the debt would be for medical school, uh, and yes. then and then saying we can pay this back or we can join the military. And we won't have to pay that back. And it, yeah. to be fair, it, yeah, I'm not going to lie and say that was the easiest decision to make, but but we absolutely made the right decision. Um, and I was always, still, I'm very thankful for the time you spent mm-hmm. in the military. Sorry, Howie, I know you have a question. I just wanted to. Oh say no, that. no, no. I, listen, I, I would be interested, and I think our audience would be interested in maybe describing some of your experiences in in in, uh, in military medicine, and um, and then after that. Um, you chose not to make a full career. In other words, serve 20 years or more. Um, I think another interesting thing would be why you chose to transition out of the military. Maybe, maybe you could explain, uh, you know, the decisions behind those, uh, you know, what into, went into those decisions. Sure. So I, I just to kind of um, give some background. So I graduated medical school, you know, um, at UMDNJ, now it's Rutgers Medical School. I still call it UMDNJ. But um, from there, I actually applied to the military match. So for a lot of people that don't know, for physicians, um, once you graduate or when you get to your third year of medical school, you enter this process called the match, right? Where you essentially apply for a specialty that you wanna go into and you put your name in, in a list and um, they match you up with different programs. The military has the same process. There's is a lot, you know, um, a lot sooner than the civilian match. So I knew before any of my colleagues where I was going. So I went to Eglin Air Force Base for residency. Um, I could say kicking and screaming um, because I, I, I really had my heart set on doing a civilian residency. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Philadelphia. I'm going to do my civilian residency, and then I'll just get these four years done in the military, and then we'll figure it out from there. And that's not what happened. Um, I went to Eglin Air Force Base for a rotation. They really liked me. And that's where I went for residency. <laughs> and that's also where I learned, you know, the needs of the Air Force come before you and that's okay. Um, but it was probably the most life-changing event for me. Um, I got to meet uh, physicians from all over the world, um, you know, and, and really in the Northeast, we're in a bubble. So a lot of people that train in the Northeast, stay in the Northeast. Um, and medicine is really practiced differently. Um, so when I went to the military, I had this, you know, preconceived notion of what the military was like, and it was not that. I mean, I met family physicians that delivered babies, did colonoscopies, still did inpatients, still did, um, you know, home visits, 
And it was just that huge scope of medicine um, that I saw in the military that I actually didn't get that experience in family medicine when I was a, a medical student. You know, everyone really stayed in their lane and meeting these military physicians, it, it was just different. The other thing I will also say in terms of experience, in you know, what I got in the military um, or what I got to do, leadership in the military is really an expectation. It, it's not an above and a beyond. It, it's not, hey, this is an additional thing in your resume. Everyone is expected to enter leadership from the gate, from the door. Um, and that was that was a very different experience. Um, and, you know, and, and we could talk about kind of how, how that segues to now, you know, but um, having that element where you are doing different missions, you are taking care of a patient, but then you have, you know, your other hat where you're a leader of a clinic. And then in the background of our training, um, when I did my my residency, you always knew that whole deployment aspect, that operational aspect. So even in in residency, I got to, um, you know, work with the pararescue jumpers, you know, the that team, the special operations team and really see what they do. And that is something I would have never been ex been able to experience in in civilian medicine. So I started at Eglin Air Force Base. I got my training there. And then my first duty station was actually England. That was not on our radar at all. Um, you know, we had listed it. You know, you put your dream sheet in terms of where you want to um, uh, PCS. So, your, you know, your next station um, and the Air Force, you know, picks for you depending on what the demands are or what the needs are. So I, again, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to end up in England. We put it on our list. We're like, okay, long shot, you know, we'll probably end up somewhere, um, in, in the U S and the bases in the U S are, are pretty not secluded, but they're not near what we were used to, which was, you know, big cities and, um, and having access to everything. So when we got our, um, you know, our, um, the decision that was made, you know, that we're going to England, we we're like, oh my gosh, we're moving. <laughs> we're moving, uh, you know, to something completely foreign. Um, and then the experiences that come with that, you know, I, I've gotten to um, uh, go on TDYs to different countries. So I went to Slovenia, I went to Germany. Um, I went to a lot of different countries, Norway, you know, and got to experience medicine in those areas through training opportunities or, you know, I uh, like, for example, in Norway, I, I went over there to help do the evaluations for the NATO station. I mean, those positions don't exist, at least not, not to me, you know, that I know of in the civilian sector where you can be so diverse and have all of these very different opportunities pop up. Um, so that that's what I've gotten from the military that at least for me, that was very unexpected. Well, so and that's fascinating. At least a great experience. Oh, I'm sorry, Lee. No, 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 please go ahead. I was just saying it was a great experience overall. It, it definitely was not what we were expecting um, and ended up being much different than we were expecting in a great, great way. Well, what's fascinating to me is is um, is when you practice medicine in the military and then you chose to to now transition into into civilian life. And as you know, 
the, the main theme behind this, this whole podcast is how can we help folks who are getting ready to transition from the military, how can they be more successful in their transition in, into civilian life? How do you feel like the military prepared you for that transition into civilian life? Maybe you could talk about that for a little bit, because I think that would be very yeah. interesting to our audience. So I'll, I'll address that question in two parts. So I think the experience that you get through the military is so unique. Um, you know, I alluded to the whole, you know, the leadership part. So when I was stationed in England um, as a brand new physician, you know, you're you're an element leader and then a director and then, you know, they really gear you up to command. And it's it's part of everyone's job descriptions. Everyone has additional duties, you know, things that they have to do, programs that they have to run. But there's no certifications for all of that. And and because it's an expectation, you don't really think of it as, you know, this is above and beyond, you know, you don't really think about it as um, you just say, hey, I'm just doing my job. Um, I will say when you enter the civilian sector, um, a lot of at least in my experience, um, leadership is not expected. Um, people have a very narrow scope of what their jobs are. And a lot of those additional duties that I did in the military, I, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm just doing my job. I didn't do a good job of really selling myself and saying, hey, no, I ran this program. I've done this. I've done that. Um, you know, so that's one, you know, so in, in terms of to answer your question, does the military prepare you for civilian life? Absolutely. The one thing that I, I think it didn't prepare me for is really um, taking that experience that you learn in the military and putting it in a language that the civilian sector can understand, you know, um, and I know that sounds, you know, weird, but for me, like I, I was, you know, I helped with JCO inspections and I helped with all of these other programs. And when I left, I didn't, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, that's part of the job. But then when I actually got into my civilian job, you know, as a physician outside of the military, it wasn't part of my job. My job was just to see patients. That's it. Everything else was considered above and beyond, you know? Um, so that's the one thing I will say, you know, the certifications, the, um, the things that really are attached to the day-to-day -day jobs in the civilian sectors are certifications, are, are, you know, programs. So translating that into a CV, um, I know with a lot of my medical technicians that I worked with in the military, um, they were in charge of so much, you know, they were in charge of, you know, a procedures program. They were in charge of teaching other people how to do, you know, sutures. And that doesn't translate well in the outside of the military. You know, that is really a job that is outside of the scope of a medical technician in, you know, outside of the military. So, you know, I, I still talk to a lot of my, um, my airmen that, that, you know, that served as medical technicians with me. And, and the big thing that they say, they're like, well, yeah, I, I did all of this in the military, but I don't have the certifications for it. So I can't do it in the civilian world, you know? And, and I think that's a big point of contention sometimes. So that is one thing that I know that the military is working on, you know, creating programs that allow certification so that when people leave the military, they'll have the, you know, civilian equivalent certification um, so they can really progress their careers a lot faster. But that is one thing that I will say 
um, that is lacking. The experience is there, absolutely, but then that formality of having the certificate sometimes isn't always there, um, and it can be difficult for for our military members when they're trying to transition. You know, so you're, you're bringing up a couple of really important points that I want to kind of highlight as maybe tips for for the folks in our audience that are, are currently military and getting ready to transition. One is how to translate what you're doing in the military mm -hmm. into language that will will um, will uh, that folks in the civilian sector, whatever area you choose to work in, that they'll understand. I know that was a challenge I had as I was transitioning, mm -hmm. as I was creating my resume, my CV for uh, civilian life is it was it was military speak. And I, I mm -hmm. had a number of people read through the, the resume and, you know, folks who had been very successful in, in a corporate or civilian career and suggested, hey, you've got to translate this in a way that people mm -hmm. outside the military can understand this. So that's a great tip right there, Jan, that you brought up. The other is if you have an idea of what kind of area you might want to seek to work in, whether it's IT, medicine, whatever it may be, if there are ways to certify yourself or get professional education that, mm -hmm. again, would benefit you in your civilian life, why not try to do that? You know, I'm sure it could help you in your military career as well, but it'll also better prepare you for for your civilian career. So those are two great tips that hopefully yeah. our audience can 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 uh, take and and maybe implement in their transition uh, as well to make it much more effective. Yeah, I I will say you know so when people are leaving the military, they you know at least with Air Force they have to create your complete a capstone program. Um, you know, and, and or TAPS program, the names kind of change <laughs> over the years. And it really is aimed at um, individuals transitioning out. And I, I do think it's a lot of help. They do help with some of that. I, I, I know, you know, as, as a person that transitioned out, I did a couple things because I knew one um, for physicians, there are not a lot of uh, a lot of us. You know, um, so I was pretty much the sole physician in this capstone program. And, you know, um, so when the the proctor was trying to, um, you know, help me transition, they're like, yeah, I don't I don't really know. I don't really know what advice to give you, you know, um, and that's where I use social media. Social media right now is is amazing. Um, I found a, you know, a, a physician mom group on Facebook. I found, you know, a I think it's like captain to lieutenant or something like that on, on face group with military um, officers that were looking to transition over. Um, and I, I, I just, you know, um, without shame, asked people for their resumes. I was like, hey, can you send me your CV? You know, it looks like we did the same job. I'm having trouble putting it into words. And I think for a lot of us that are um, very self-reliant, um, used to being very independent, Asking people for their CV, you know, could kind of seem, um, um, you know, kind of like a, a show of weakness. And it isn't. I mean, <laughs> it is a military is a whole different language. Um, I will tell you, like the custom, customs and courtesies in the military um, are, are a little um, sometimes off putting, you know, for the civilian. Like I call everyone sir, ma'am, you know, and for me, you know, I, I'm the director to and to a student health clinic and I have a lot of, you know, LGBTQ, I have a lot of, um, you know, different types of cultures that I, I, I help take care of. And the sir and ma'am 
is not part of their lingo, right? It's not part of their norm, you know, their cultural norms. Um, so there, there is a lot of advice that I sought out through social media, um, looking at someone that did the job that I that I was going to do, asking for their CV, and then just adopting things as my own. Um, and then I've actually paid it forward, you know, so there's, I'm in academic medicine now, um, you know, I'm part of this military group in, you know, on Facebook. Um, and you know, we've had physicians that say, Hey, I'm transitioning, you know, I'm looking for an academic job. What do I do? And right away I'm like, Hey, PM me, please. <laughs> Let's talk because there's a couple, there's a lot of, you know, from a cultural standpoint, that's different. Um, capturing, you know, all those jobs, um, in a way that other people could understand that's super different, you know, so that would be my advice. Um, the last thing that I did right before I left the military is I actually took a, a modified business course for physicians. Uh, I paid for it out of my own pocket, but because I, in the military finances are just different you know you finances are part of a wing you know like an entire base it's not just your um your clinic so the way you look at finances especially for people that are looking at starting a business um for me that i did that to transition that way i i could understand medical finances a little bit better you know a few things, Jen, I want to comment on that. So it, it's funny, you mentioned the social media, there's actually a, a dad's married to physicians group that I'm part of, that was kind of a, a godsend finding that. But, you know, one of the things I want to focus on, too, you're talking a lot about the, the, the great action items you took to transition. Um, but within our show, you know, mental health is a, is a major part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and this story that I'm about to ask you for is going to be different for everybody that we interview on this show. But there is a mental transition from coming out of the military to civilian life. And I find that, uh, you know, made a lot of friends in the military, obviously, that um, everyone assumes that transition is going to be easier than it actually is. And, you know, in the military, you get used to transition, right? Going from, from place to place to place. But nothing really can prepare you to that civilian transition from the standpoint of you're going from a really great community in the military mm -hmm. to a very different community. Um, and then I remember having a conversation with you, Janet, about early on after after separating of what if I don't like this job? And I said to you, well, you can quit. And yeah. that had never you had you didn't even think of that, it, that the concept of that was foreign to you because you can't do that in the military. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, I'd say that, you know, the transition from military to civilian life from a mental standpoint took about a year. Um, oh, yeah. but can you can you dive deep into that? Can you walk us through that? Because I think it's really important that our listeners know that they're not alone. I think a lot of people separating from the military are feeling that mental stress. Um, you know, they don't vocalize it and they don't realize yeah. that almost everyone that separates is going through that. Yeah. So I, I do think we had a unique, you know, experience going overseas. So overseas, you live with the people that you work with, essentially. So, you know, when I was at RAF Lakenheath, I we chose to live on base. Um, and a lot of the individuals that I saw in clinic, you know, my patients, a lot of the um, individuals I worked with, actually lived nearby, you know? So I would go on my jogging route and I would see my, you know, my, the PA that I worked with or a couple patients and they would stop me. And, you know, so in the military, at least in my experience, you know, and not everyone's experience is, is the same, you have built in 
social support systems that I actually didn't realize were really that built in. So for example, you know, as a physician, I, I had a pretty rigorous schedule in the military, but I can do that because my community I lived with. So like I could call, you know, um, a friend of mine that lived two days down, that was part of another section, but knew me, you know, to take care of my kids when I got called at two in the morning and I had to go in, you know, to the hospital to admit a patient um, or when I had to transition a baby or, you know, those sort of things. Um, so that support system really is built in. There's so much structure in the military as well, you know, and they do make attempts at making um, programs accessible. So you do team building programs, you do, you know, picnics and I don't even remember, like these wing events, at least that's what they did at RAF Lake and Heath. Um, and then mental health access is actually pretty darn good. And I know for individuals that are currently in the military, they might not agree, but being in the civilian sector now, what, three years where it takes me three, four months to get one of my patients in to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, um, you know, they're, they're pretty good social support systems, mental health support systems in the military. And there's a reason for that. I mean, I, I could tell you being in the military, I had far less control over my life than I do now. You know, you also have that ambiguity of deployment lumen. What are you going to do with your family? So there is a reason why the military invests so much time and effort in creating these systems. So when I left the military, <laughs> that was still an expectation of, you know, for me, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to join another job. They're going to have these, you know, kind of same systems. So in a way I, I kind of got spoiled, I, you know, and you're really left to do a lot of this stuff on your own. Um, people don't always interact outside of work, you know, like we used to, like, for me, I, I had great friendships with the people that I worked with, you know, so that work life balance was really not blurred, but we really did take care of each other, both in, you know, in the work setting out outside of the work setting. And for some reason, I thought that leaving the military, I was going to have that same structure, you know, that I was going to be able to create these, you know, very impactful friendships with the people that I worked with. And that's just not what happened, <laughs> you know, and I will tell you the, the first year that I transitioned out, you know, there's a huge sense of loneliness, um, that I personally had to battle. Um, and I, I'm not a person typically that, you know, is in my feelings very much, but I, I felt it. I was like, this is different. And I, I felt a loss, um, you know, leaving the military. And then a lot of my closest friends, they're scattered all over the world, you know? So, um, that was different transitioning. And I, I did have to really come to term, not terms with it, but really create another social support system for myself. Um, because once I had left that military, you know, the military setting, some of that was gone. Um, and then back to the point that you alluded to, you know, um, um, Lee, regarding that mentality, you know, in when you're active duty, you are part of a larger team and everything really is built in to tell you that you're your team. Don't let your teammates down. Like there is a certain expectation for uh, camaraderie. There is a certain expectation for, um, 
mission driven where regardless of what happens, like you have to get the job done. So there is a certain amount of togetherness that's already there. Um, and I think that was also part of what, what really led to kind of that feeling of loss because with my next job, um, that, that was there in part, but it wasn't the entire structure, you know, where everyone had this mentality of togetherness and the same work ethic and holding people accountable. And, you know, all of these, these elements, um, that again, were part of that social network that allowed you to function. Um, so transitioning out, you know, I always thought, okay, like everyone's going to do, we're all going to work together. We're all going to do this. And it just wasn't that. <laughs> Not, that, that was difficult I mean, for it was, That was very that difficult That in part. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jan, you, you, and I just want to kind of go back a little bit because you prompted a couple things in, 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 in um, sharing your experience that I think are really, again, good tips for our audience that are transitioning right now is the value of using a network, whether it's a social network or people you know who actually have are doing or have done what you're doing now. The value of, of, of developing a good network contact list to reach out to, whether it's for, for help, for reviewing your, your resume, your CV, or just mm-hmm. getting their experience of what, what went well, what did not go well, so you can learn from their experiences. I think that's really important that folks who are transitioning develop that network contact list and use it very actively because I think that could save them um, from going through a lot of challenges that, that folks who don't do that go through. Uh, another thing you prompted in my mind that I think is a great idea, and it sounds like you're doing it right now, is even finding a mentor, someone that you have trust and confidence in that whether they have like experiences in medicine, like like yours, or in just the transition processes, someone who can mentor you through the process. And again, you can gain um, experiences and insights that you and perspective that you wouldn't have on your own because someone's willing to share that with you. So I think those are really another, more good tips for for folks in our audience to to, to leverage. Um, you know, it's funny because I had a very similar challenge with a with a mental transition, and it was again you kind of alluded to it with the business course that you took. Because in, in the military, it's not a for profit organization, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're yeah. given a budget. Now you have to spend that budget um, very responsibly, but mm-hmm. um, but you're not in the business to make money, and right. so that was one of the challenges I had going into. I went to government contracting. Um, uh, that was a, a significant challenge I had, and, and thankfully I had uh, a, a team of leadership above me that understood that I was going through that and helped mm-hmm. me um, through that. Um, so I'd be interested now, now that you've transitioned out and you're at, at the hospital at Drexel where you, where you work now, um, what went well mm-hmm. there? What did not go well there? Because I think sometimes sure. sharing what went well is really good for our audience to hear, but also things that didn't go well, those are important lessons for them to leverage so that maybe they can avoid making, you know, having to go through those same experiences themselves. But how, how, did, yeah. how did Drexel bring you into their organization and yeah. help you transition into their program? Um, what went well and what didn't go well there? I think that's important for our audience to hear. Yeah. So I, I I will have to, you know, give a lot of um, props to really the people that I work with. So 
we so one when you transition to civilian that you're not given a mentor <laughs> you have to kind of seek those out and it's really informal so i've had a lot of you know senior physicians that were in leadership that really kind of helped me and said you know they they just answered all my questions they um, looked for opportunities, you know, once they got to know me, they looked for opportunity or they saw opportunities that I would be really good at. And they sat down with me and say, Hey, you have this skill set. you need to lean into it. Um, and, and I know you might not want to right now, but it will progress your career. And, you know, I've been very fortunate that I have had, um, mentors that really watched out for me, um, you know, coming out of the military, um, so that that in that part that went very well i did go into academics um because i i just didn't know what academics was about and i i said you know what let me give this a try and if it doesn't work out i could take lee's advice and i could just quit <laughs> you know um so there was a lot to learn about academics i'm still learning about that um so in terms of what went well in when I was active duty, I felt like, okay, this is part of the mission. This is, this is what I need to do. Everything was so compacted, like in terms of, you know, if it didn't fall in line with kind of what, what the mission was with the clinic, then it just wasn't worth doing. And civilian, it's actually a little bit different, especially in academics. Um, so really pursuing, um, things outside of the box, you know, creating is very big outside, at least in my current position. Um, so in terms of what went well, I, a lot of my mentors had to really kind of say that to me and say, Hey, you're not in the military anymore. You can do this. You can create that. Um, you just got to find a way. And you're like, well, who's, who's going to help me? Well, no, you need to find a way. <laughs> it's not like a package deal where you have this new mission and then you're given bodies and you, you know, you, you just organize the bodies. Like, no, you have to figure out the way. And they, they really helped me do that. Um, challenges I've had. Okay. So I actually appreciate the structure of the military. <laughs> I have a newfound appreciation for that. So when I in process into the civilian sector, um, it, you know, you, the in-processing or the onboarding, it's not as formalized as if it was, you know, when I was in the military. So in the military, you know, you could go to a new base, you get handed a stack full of papers, you get handed, you know, in my case, I got a full like CD, um, you know, or, or disc of like everything that I needed to go through. Um, and you get a timeline. You're like, all right, you got two weeks. You need to go through all of this. And then you'll know how to do your job and you're like, okay, excellent. You know, there you, so you follow the formula, you do it. And lo and behold, within two weeks, you're doing your job, you know, and there, there are things that pop up, that sort of thing. Um, but when I transitioned over, it wasn't that formal. So I was still finding out new aspects of my job, like one, two, three months down the road. I was like, wait, wait a second. So I have to do this now. And that for a person that lived in under structure, was really distressing for me. You know, I actually like structure. I have a plan. Um, you know, maybe my husband disagrees with that, but I do have a plan and I do have a way of doing things. Um, you know, um, and for me that, that was very distressing. 
The other thing is um, everyone has their assigned roles and responsibility of the, in the military. Um, and there's an expectation. There's a culture of accountability where like, no, you, this is your job. You do your job, you know? And I think when I transitioned over, I didn't have that. So like, I didn't know who did what. I didn't know who was in charge of which program. And it was really difficult for me to get started. Um, the other things I will say is, you know, the collaborations in the military are a little bit more formalized or the networking is more formalized. Like, you know, there's a chain of command, you know, the organization and structure. If you have a problem, you just look at that org chart and you say, okay, this person's going to solve my problem, but I got to find, you know, I got to follow customs and courtesy. So I got to go this this route and you have like a little chain and you know if you engage your flight commander or your flight chief or whoever it may be that it'll eventually get to the person you know that needs to solve your problem um there is no map <laughs> the civilian world it's a lot of trial and error um you know getting to the right person um so in terms of what went well i, I there's so much opportunities in the civilian to grow you know um I had great mentors, you know, um, and a lot of them were just informal. They're, you're, they're people that, that I'm friendly with at work or that I'm friends with now that really watch out for you. But getting to that person that you need to progress your career is not a straight line. It's actually quite looped sometimes. <laughs> um, so that, that structure that I came to appreciate, I just didn't see in the, in the civilian, in the civilian realm. The other thing I will say just from seeing, because I do see patients that are veterans, right? Um, I see students that are that are veterans that are part of the yellow ribbon program that are now, you know, transitioning, getting their education. And the biggest complaint that I, I get from students, because I ask them, hey, how's your transition going? Like, how's everything? Because I feel like I'm getting treated like a baby, you know, like these are the you know these are individuals that in the military they were in charge of weapons they were in charge of programs they were in charge of all of these things and no one really cared how old they were they were babies 18 19 year old you know individuals in charge of huge programs huge responsibilities and when you transition over because people don't know that um sometimes there's that culture um uh, kind of collide where you're like, listen, I, I ran things in the military and then I come out and I, I can't run anything. This doesn't make sense. So, you know, in terms of what didn't go well for, for me, I know that was a little bit of struggle. I was like, wait, I, I ran things. Why, why can't I do it here? That was one. But I also hear the same thing from my patients when they're trying, you know, when they're going, um, um, when they're doing their classes, when they're trying to start programs and they're getting all these roadblocks, you're like, I have this experience before, but they're not, you know, they're not seeing it as a leadership experience. We've got time for a couple more questions, Janet. This is, this is great information, especially for the people listening. And as we said before, you know, it's good to know that multiple people transitioning are going through similar experiences, because mm -hmm. that's a big part of understanding that you're going through something together, something you said that the military provides so well. So with all of the great tips and stories that you've told, here comes the reversal question is, is there anything you would have done differently? Is there anything you would have changed now looking back? <clears throat> um, you know, that's also invaluable information for everybody listening at home. Sure. Um, 
that's a hard question because I really think that the experience that I had in the military prepared me for the craziness that I'm experiencing today. You know, it really helped me adjust with all of that. Um, things that I would have done differently. I think I would have taken advantage of a lot of the military programs, uh, you know. Um, so, for example, I had the opportunity to do an acupuncture course, um, you know, and it would have tacked on another year, but, you know, the military would have paid for it. Um, I didn't take advantage of that, you know, and, and that's something that I could have, that's a skill set that I could have earned or learned in the military that would have really helped me take care of patients today. Uh, I, there's a lot of opportunities in the military to either, you know, volunteer deploy or do humanitarian missions or, um, and I did, I did get the chance to do, you know, a humanitarian mission when I was in, um, in residency. But I don't think I took advantage, you know, of of all of those opportunities when I was active duty, where you could have gone, you know, could have volunteered for these 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 positions or these tours, right? Um, and people gain a lot of experience from that. Um, it, that would I would say that's my biggest regret. Do I regret going into the military? No. Was it hard? Heck yes, it was hard. You know, um, it was a different culture for me. Um, you know, the work itself is a lot of work, but I, I, in from, you know, I deeply feel that I got more out of the military than they got from me, you know, like the experience that I got through my military service, um, will last me a lifetime. And I, I've actually had these conversations with other colleagues, you know, cause a lot of, of physicians that are in the military, they actually end up in academic medicine. You know, a lot of them end up teaching others because that's what we learned in the military. You teach other people. You're constantly teaching your airmen, you know, so um, I don't think I would have done anything differently. <laughs> so so what, what I'm going to ask you to do right now, Janet, is, is maybe kind of change your hat. OK, um, sure. I want you to think like you're part of an organization now that is receiving men and women from the military. And so based on your experiences, how would you advise that organization? What could they do differently or better to help that military veteran transition into into their organization, into your organization? Because I, I think what we're hoping is that at some point, part of our audience will not just be the military members who are transitioning, but folks in, in corporate and civilian leadership positions that now are accepting military members into the organizations and how we can help them better prepare uh, their their the transition of those folks into their organization. So, and I know that's a, a little bit of a challenging um, maybe thought, mm -hmm. but if you could look, like for example, at where you're currently working now, what what do you think they could do better to help receive folks who have military experience into their organization? To, to make them feel more comfortable and be effective as quickly yeah. as they can. Okay. So, I mean, low hanging fruit is the onboarding system. So in the military, we had, you got assigned a person that was going to help you with their transition. So you had one person that, you know, picked you up from the airport, um, took you to, you know, where you needed to be, um, and really outlined you know, um, kind of a checklist, you know, these are the things you need to get done. These are the things that you, you know, um, that you'll need to get done throughout the week. Um, and they checked in on your family. Um, 
that really went a long way, you know, and that actually leaves a really good kind of impression. You're like, okay, I'm joining and I'm part of something, you know, I'm part of a, another team. So I think that's low hanging fruit. I think if businesses can do that, especially for our, our veterans to say, hey, you know, let me, you know, and then check in, um, having like kind of that, that formal onboarding. Um, I will also say, um, maybe just sitting down with that, that, you know, uh, veteran and saying, Hey, what exactly did you do in the military? What programs did you run? Because I, I think a lot of it really isn't reflective on a CV. Um, and then really looking at our military members to continue leadership. Um, that is something that is learned, um, and that we do well, at least I believe that we do well, um, and really looking for them to continue, you know, um, that growth outside of, you know, outside of the military setting. Um, I think those are the three things that individuals can do right off the bat that really just take effort. That's it. It just takes effort. It, it doesn't take, um, you know, a lot of time for anyone, just effort. That's it. Great. Well, listen, you've been very generous with your time. There is one more question I'd like to ask before we close. Um, I know you recently co-authored a book with, with Lee, your husband, um, mm -hmm. uh, entitled Stay in Medicine. That It is about to hit the book stands very soon. Um, what I'd love for you to explain to the audience is why, why you wrote that book. What are the challenges you see in medicine now that you're trying to tackle and, and help with? Sure. Um, so I think the medical... Um, practicing medicine right now is very difficult for physicians. We have, um, just with the large hospital systems, there's a lot of um, different powers that encroach, you know, from insurances, from, you know, just how expensive medicine is, um, encroaches on, you know, how we, how we, um, how we deliver medicine. And a lot of physicians have had it. They're like, you know what, it, because it, it, it comes at such a sacrifice to the people that are in medicine. Um, you know, so f for colleagues that know me, you know, I have two small kids. There are times when I was in the military, you know, and even now where there, there's sometimes, you know, days that you don't really see your kids. You'll see them for an hour just because the work is just so cumbersome and, and really encroaches on, on everything else, right? Or it feels that way. So the point of the book, um, and really what I want to do is outline strategies that I'm using to really um, make the, the medical experience a little bit easier for me to optimize, to figure out how to use your team so that you could actually get home and enjoy your life. You know, um, I th that's, that's a big part of it. Um, and really, I want to start this conversation. There's a lot of physicians just like myself that I actually want to, you know, I want to take care of patients. I take care of patients, you know, both in a, in, in a university setting, but I also take pay, care of patients in um, a inner city setting where a lot of these these patients don't have funds. You know, they don't they're not financially stable. And I feel like the more people that leave and leave medicine Who's going to stay back and take care of people like my mom, you know, that doesn't, they don't have money. They don't speak English, you know, or people like my family that are, that are not as financially, um, you know, stable, um, or haven't had the opportunities that I have had, you know, so it's really to start this conversation. Like, what are we doing as physicians 
to really tackle this system that has become so expensive for patients and really has come at a sacrifice for the physicians that are delivering the care. So what, what can we do? What tips and tricks are we doing to help us stay in medicine one and to help change the system? I think, you know, when you look at um, the statistics in terms of which populations are healthy, you know, which countries really keep their populations healthy, we're not doing well in the US for the amount of money that we spend on healthcare. How many people are truly healthy? You know, um, so that that's why I wrote the book with Lee, you know, trying to figure out how we can build teams in medicine to to really make it a worthwhile experience for physicians, for patients, and then start taking strides at changing the culture of medicine, changing the structure of medicine. We all know it's needed, but it's hard to figure out where to start. Um, and for me, this really this book kind of outlines for me as a physician you know, without looking at the whole system and getting really overwhelmed, what can I do right now? What can I do in my setting to start that change? So that that's the whole premise, you know, behind the book and, and what I would like to see. I want to see colleagues, you know, that I work with five, 10 years down the road that actually love coming into work and that don't see it as a burden, but there's a lot of work to do before we get there. <laughs> That's a conversation that uh, I'm lucky I get to have with you for the rest of my life, but that's where it's going to have to end on this podcast. You know, I, I always say, Janet, to everyone I know that you might be shorter than me, but I very much look up to you uh, as a person, as a friend, as a wife. Uh, and your military service was a gift to our family um, in so really many was, ways. Yeah. And um, uh, you alluded to it earlier, you know, with the pandemic going on. Um, I do need to say this. Your response to that, I could see you drawing from your military experience and applying it to that. Um, you were boots on the ground immediately when the pandemic hit the United States, and I was completely impressed with that. And what I wanna impress upon our audience with that, not that I'm just complimenting my wife, was that the experiences you draw in the military are special, uh, both from a leadership mm -hmm. standpoint, from a community standpoint, uh, from just getting the job done standpoint. Uh, and you never know when you'll need to draw upon those in the civilian world, but they will show up and you will be able to assist people. Um, in their work. So, Janet, first off, thank you so much for being on our pilot episode. Thank you so much for being here today and being our first uh, our first experiment as a guest. It was great to have you. Yeah, thank you both. I mean, and this is this is actually amazing. I know with a lot of military members, I hope when they listen to this, they see, you know, um, their experience is so valuable, like you said, so valuable. And there's just so much out there that you guys can do. Um, it's it's just getting the right network to get you guys through the transition. So um, this is amazing work. Well, I want to echo what Lee said and thank you again. Uh, I think you've given our audience incredible uh, tips and, and things for them to draw on to help make their transition more successful. So again, Jan, thank you so much for, for taking time with us this morning. With that said, you've been listening or watching Crossing the LD, which is powered by the nonprofit Pivotal Moments. You can go to pivotalmoments.org for more inspirational content, educational resources, and to donate. But for that, that's going to end this podcast, the first edition for Dr. Janet Cruz, for Howie Cohen. I'm Lee Elias. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Crossing the LD. Keep an eye out for more episodes, which will be coming soon. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.